welcome to the Prescription Podcast. On this show, we present to you up-to-date facts on medical-related topics. We are your hosts. I'm Ian, a surgeon. I'm Zichin, a gastroenterologist. We're both practicing in Kuala Lumpur. We are on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Please follow us for updates on new episodes. This podcast was created with the intent of creating awareness on current health issues in the public. Please do still consult your doctor if you have doubts. Alright, and today we're still on season 3, but we're on episode number 6. Taking off from the last episode where we're talking about enlarged prostate, today we will be talking about prostate cancer. Uh, we'd like to welcome back our speaker for today, Dr. Lim Li Yi, who is a urologist in Hospital Chancellor Tunku Mokris. Lim, thank you for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. Alright, so we've gone on to from something that every man gets, which is uh, enlarged prostate. Uh, and today we'd like to talk about something a little bit more sinister, a little bit more serious, which is prostate cancer. Right. Yep. So let's start off in a, every single time a little bit about statistics. How many people with enlarged prostate eventually get prostate cancer or it's not correlated at all? I think it's a little bit difficult to quote the number like this. But in general, prostate cancer is the third most common cancer in Malaysia. I think the lifetime mm. risk is about 1 in 117 men. So if we look at some of those autopsy studies, some old studies, if we talk about prevalences, if you are less than 30 years old, it's probably around 5%. It increases with age. By the time, oh. I mean, those autopsy reports show that if you're above 80 years old, the prevalence will go as high as around 59%. Wow. 59%. So many patients... If you're 100, you probably will definitely yep. get prostate yep. so, cancer. Hmm. Because most patients are without symptoms, so many actually have cancer without knowing it. So that's why it's a little bit difficult to correlate and say that how many percent of the patient do actually have it. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I didn't quite catch this now. You said 1 in 117 or 70? 17. 117. So this wow. is the statistic from Malaysia. But if you look at worldwide data, this number is much higher. Especially for autopsy report of those people who die of so-called other causes, you realise that a lot of them do have a hidden prostate cancer inside. Wow, it's almost 1 in 100. Huh? Hmm. Okay. If someone were to have prostate cancer, how would they present? What symptoms would they have? Nowadays, majority of prostate cancer patients came without symptoms. I mean, those cases are diagnosed incidentally or, or sort of intentionally via health screen. Mm. But majority are without symptoms. Those with symptoms, the symptoms are generally quite non-specific. Uh, the symptoms can be quite similar to those with uh, big prostate, so such as a low flow, difficult to pass urine, felt that they couldn't empty their bladder completely. So pretty much the same as the big prostate symptoms. Or they can have other symptoms such as blood in the urine, blood in mm. the sperm. Very rarely, we do get patients who come in with very, very advanced diseases. So they get severe bone pain or they get cord compression. Mm. But those are not so common. But mm. having to say so, unfortunately, in our country, I think recently there's one data that shows that over 50% of our Malaysian population patients actually came with some late-stage cancer. Wow, mm. that's bad. So I guess this falls back to, again, screening is important, right? I mean, for prostate cancer. Prostate cancer screening is very controversial mm. because prostate cancer is quite indolent generally. Yep. And uh, the mortality from prostate cancer are very low. Mm -hmm. So whether to screen everyone or not is always debatable. Mm -hmm. But over here in Malaysia, we practice opportunity screening. 
means that if you come to us, we look through your history, we think that you are at the risk of prostate cancer, we'll ask you whether you're interested to screen. If you are, then we'll screen. Mm, okay. So you only pick those to, who has family history. Is there any other, what are the high risk, what are people that you would advise to screen other than um, patient with family history and what kind of family history is considered as a, a high risk? So we look at a few factors. Age is certainly one. And then clinical examination. So when we examine your rectum, examine the rectum and check the prostate, whether there's any nodule that we can feel. Family mm. history is another one. Mm -hmm. So generally, if you have a first generation family history of prostate cancer, especially the younger one, then that will make your risk a little bit higher. And uh, some of the genetic disease such as uh, BRCA, which mm. family member can get things like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic, um, this group of the patient with this BRCA gene also can have a higher incidence of uh, prostate cancer. Mm. Then the other one is probably not relevant to our popu population, which is uh, African general, uh, African they have much higher incidence of prostate cancer than us. Mm. You mentioned about age. What is the cutoff huh, that you, you take it as a, a, a reference? So we generally will screen the patient up to around 70 to 75 years old, depending on the patient's health. So the guide is that we are, if you have about more than 10 years of life expectancy, then it's still worth screening. But if we look at your general health condition, it appears that you're probably less than 10 years of life expectancy if you're generally, if you don't have much symptoms. And when we examine your prostate, we don't think that it's a outrageous high-grade cancer, cancer, then we can actually probably just leave it. Okay. You, uh, correct me if I got the facts wrong. Um, I heard you were saying that less than 30, um, the risk is about 5%. Right? Yep. Incidence is about 5%. So you do you screen them if they have a family history of, of another person? Uh, you mentioned about first degree. So I think first degree is your parents and your siblings, right? In the, in the in immediate, um, your yep. next, yeah, immediate family so, members. Mm, so in those groups, do you screen them early? So 5% is actually coming from some old autopsy studies. Mm. Generally, we won't screen a patient at age of 30, as most of the patients won't present at that age anyway. But I think the recommendation generally is that if you do have family history, we will start screening you at 45. And okay. if you have a risk of things like BRCA, we may screen you at even at age of 40. Do we routinely do BRCA in Malaysia? I mean, if you... For genetic tests, we don't, right? As far as I, I know. I think this is so happens if I think the family members did. I think if not, I think we won't be able to discover as well, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, the take-up rate for BRCA gene screening is quite low. Yeah. yeah. I think when we talk about genetic screen and all that, unless it's specifically done with a very strong family history of uh, cancer, um, I think it's not a routine recommendation to screen um, if you have the gene without presence of any family history yes correct. strong family history you know sometimes we talk about two yeah. or three more of uh, first degree cancer and uh, incidents in a family right so that too again um, genetic screening I think earlier on in some certain some of the episode we did talk about genetic screening again you need to get appropriate advice from the geneticist you know so to actually go through with you what to expect and when the results come out and how do we interpret it. It's not something that you go for a screening, right? So I think we have to keep that in mind. 
Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people are reluctant to do it for insurance reason and are afraid that they're going to affect their next generation and family member as well. Mm. Yeah, I think okay. that's the, the reality out there. Yeah. So, okay, say let's place a scenario. You have a patient that comes with maybe symptoms or no symptoms, but somehow you have screened them based on your examination, physical examination, and also the blood investigations that you have taken and they seem to be at risk. So what's the next step? So nowadays, uh, we have some risk calculator that we can use to help us mm-hmm. to roughly calculate the risk. And okay. then if the patient actually happy to proceed, most of us would actually start off. If the center have the facility of multi-parametric MRI, we'll do an MRI first. If we don't, or if we think that on examination, we can feel the lesion very well, then this group of patients, we can proceed with a biopsy straight. Ah, uh, Okay. So based on the biopsy, usually you would grade uh, how how severe or how bad the prostate cancer is as well, right? You get the so scoring. with the blood test, with uh, the digital rectal examinations, as well as the biopsy results, we mm. can more or less re-stratify them into whether they are likely to get a localized cancer or whether they are going to likely get a metastasis, uh, I mean cancer that's already spread. Mm-hmm. So if it's the local cancer, we can further classify them into their wrist. Then mm-hmm. with that, we will know whether we need to do other imaging such as MRI, bone scan, or even nowadays we have some uh, PMSA PET scan. Then from there, we will start consultation in terms of treatment. Mm. Okay. So you re-stratify them first before yes. you proceed for the imaging test, like the radiology test. Um, yeah. Uh, Right, so not everyone would have to go through um, a radiology test. Not necessary. So if your cancer is the very low risk, can- low risk localized cancer, actually some guidelines suggested that you probably don't need any other imaging. I see. Okay, so if you've already stratified, right, and uh, I mean the, the the basis of the stratification is basically to look at the modality of treatment and also basically the aim of your treatment, correct? I think basically is to tell us how aggressive the cancer is. Yes so that we can decide whether to treat or not to treat, and if it's mm-hmm. to treat, what modality we use for treatment. Mm. I'm a bit afraid to ask you the modality of treatment because I know it has grown a lot since the past few years. There's really, really a lot of medications and different types yep. of treatments. Uh, so much so when I hear your discussions previously, I, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really a lot. But maybe if you could just kind of sum up for the audience, you know, what types of treatments there are out there? Um, I think first of all, um, I think to treat or not to treat, the decision is based on two. Number mm-hmm. one is how aggressive is the cancer. Yep. Number two is how well you are. Mm-hmm. So if you have a very indolent cancer, localized, and you are those that are quite frail, then some of them we don't actually treat. We don't even mm. monitor. Yep. means that we monitor just based on symptoms. If you're symptomatic, we treat. If you're not, we are. I mean, if you're not symptomatic, we just leave. We just make friends and make peace with the cancer. Mm. If you are having a very aggressive cancer and you're very young, you're very fit, we are going to be more aggressive. Okay. So for the low-risk localized cancer, we can either treat it with uh, surgery, remove the whole prostate, or we can treat it with radiotherapy with and without some hormone injections. And uh, some patients who 
I mean, who are not anxious and then happy to just monitor the cancer, we can actually actively survey the cancer and to see how it goes to the progress and only to treat it if it started to grow faster. Mm. Uh, for patients who has um, high-risk localized cancer, they definitely need some form of treatment. Mm-hmm. So cancer option is uh, the treatment option is usually either surgery or radiotherapy with hormone injection. Okay. If you are the one of those that have cancer that has spread, you definitely need a treatment as well. Those who are the patient generally get the hormone treatment. Then on top of it, if you are physically fit, no contraindication, then we can either couple it with some chemotherapy or some oral form of uh, hormonal therapy as well. Mm. So generally, if it's um, detected very early, uh, the early stage of the cancer, the survival rate should be very, very good, right? Prostate we always talk about one year or five years. Oh, you're very prostate, indolent that like you said earlier. Prostate cancer generally has is one of the cancer that has the best survival. So uh, I think alongside thyroid, they are the two best survival cancer uh, formulations. Mm. So if oh. we talk about five years survival, we are talking about 98%. Mm. If wow. we talk about 10 years survival, we are talking around 80%. Mm. So I remember someone once actually told me that, you know, if he were to choose to get a cancer, he would choose a prostate cancer. Uh, in terms of survival, yes. Mm. But I think a lot of men are quite bothered by it because uh, treatment, unfortunately, do come with quite a fair bit of side effects. Yeah. And uh, continence and erectile dysfunction are two main things that a lot of men can't take it. So mm. probably not that good in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> this this is with medication or with surgery or are you talking about both? Uh, with both. Even with radiotherapy, with hormone treatment, oh, yeah, that's right. with radiotherapy, uh, with uh, surgical right. removal, yeah. all of them get yeah. Yeah. similar yeah. side effects. Yeah, yeah, definitely not pleasant. Yeah, I you know when, when I had that conversation with that senior doctor, I mean, it was shocking. But then again, you know, cancer is so common here. Uh, and then we talk about, you know, colon cancer, prostate cancer, you know, then they just mention it because men, you know, they, they this is the, the track that, you know, we're going down. So uh, that was what they say. But then again, you know, we forgot about treatment, problems with treatment. So I think definitely... Yeah. It's not a pleasant So that's why nowadays if you have a very indolent cancer that is localized, then uh, we can if you are comply to it, you can you are able to stay calm. Some of them we put them on some active surveillance protocol. We just monitor their disease. So long as it doesn't give them trouble, it doesn't grow faster, it doesn't grow out of control, we can just monitor it. So the idea is to delay the treatment side effect to as late as possible, as long as possible. Mm. How often do you surveillance? I mean, it's just, just an idea out there, you know, once you've been diagnosed and if it's very early and um, how often do you do you surveillance and how do you do it? So if you choose, um, IT surveillance protocol varies according to country, but in general, if you opted for active surveillance, we will do a digital rectal examination every six months. Sorry, every one year. Then we will do a PSA every six months. And we may repeat the imaging at about one year. And depending on what type of biopsy you have originally, we may consider repeat another biopsy. And if there's no progression, then we can just maintain the protocol. If there's progression, then we may need a closer follow-up. Hmm. 
Okay. I think it's right. very difficult, you know, for a patient to know that they have cancer and not going for treatment. How do you usually encounter them that you... I mean, how do you usually um, uh, uh, counsel. counsel them, you know, uh, with this group of patients? So nowadays, there are a lot of uh, risk calculators that are available. Mm-hmm. So by using those calculators, we more or less can tell you the risk of progressions. And then mm. based on that, patient can actually make their decision. Yeah, I think mm. if you actually counsel most patients and they actually hear all the risks that comes and side effects that come from uh, the treatment, some there are actually a lot of patients who are quite hesitant. When it comes to whether it's surgery or whether if you told them that the medication has a certain side effect, I think as uh, Lim has put it quite aptly, for men, um, erectile dysfunction and um, you know those other side effects, it can really scare some of these men, especially if they were still probably relatively young. I think it scares them. Um, yeah. Yeah, but unfortunately, if you have a disease that's already spread or your cancer is those that is high risk, then unfortunately, you do actually need to be treated because yeah. prostate cancer, although it doesn't kill you. It is. It can be quite morbid. Yeah, so quite debilitating they, with the. Yeah, bone. especially when they get to the end stage, some people get very severe back pain, yep. and then when they get cord compression, some of them may not able to walk, mm. and then some may lose bowel control, bladder control. So mm. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. I understand. So um, is there? I think we're probably also going to come to an end already, but um, is there any cancer support group um, in the country uh, specifically for prostate, prostate cancer or any mm. peer support group? Oh, prostate cancer support group is probably one of the most active support group in Malaysia. Though. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. It's, oh. a very, it's, a, it's a very well-organized organization. They okay. provide lots of support. I think prior to COVID, they were having almost monthly meetings. Wow. Um, I mean, I met the president before. They are all prostate cancer survival and they are wow. extremely, extremely educated in terms of prostate cancer. I think some of them mm. even know much better about prostate cancer than us. And uh, they even fought for different, I mean, they actually have fought a lot of benefit for the prostate cancer patient as well. I think with the effort, some of the prostate cancer drop have become much cheaper as well. Wow, oh. that's very, very nice. Yeah, mm. and I think some of the newer drugs, if you're having some trouble financially, you can actually contact them. I think they have uh, alternate ways of uh, sourcing the medication and uh, to help you out a little bit financially and uh, to just to help in whichever way that they could. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think we'll probably the, we probably yeah. could put up the link here uh, yep. attached to it and, and, and so that it would benefit the listener as well. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, just to sum things up, I guess um, I would say that maybe prostate cancer most of the time is caught on uh, screening, whether it's opportunistic or not. But somehow it's caught, and um, from there, I think if you see a if you see a, a urologist, um, they will describe what is next. You know, I think whether it's in terms of imaging, but I think what is key here is basically stratifying. Uh, what risk? Uh, what level? What? Uh, yeah, sorry. What risk uh, of cancer, prostate cancer, that the patient has, and basically it's tailoring 
the plan according to each patient. It's not the same for all different patients. Um, it's going to be different for each patient. And I think a thorough discussion with the doctor, the urologist, is very, very key in this matter because um, it could be not just personal factors, but a lot of times uh, how how aggressive the cancer is and how tolerant is the patient towards uh, possible treatment models, right? If I could put that aptly. I think more importantly, there is a good supportive uh, sorry, a support group in Malaysia, which will put it up and uh, hopefully that will help those who have prostate cancer or those, those who know someone who has prostate cancer. Lim, any, any advice to, to, to our listeners? Any last advice that you have? <laughs> um, I think similar to the previous podcast, if you do have doubt, come and see us. Then uh, at least let us clear your doubts. Mm. Um, it's a very treatable cancer mm. um, so we can always have a fruitful discussion and see where it will go yep. yeah. so thank you very much thanks Liam again for coming on board and also thank you for listening in if you have any question please do email us at prescriptionpod p-r-e-s-c-r-i-p-t-i-o-n-p-o-d at gmail.com with that thank you thank you thank you thank you